uh, um, should be here in this morning. In Christ's name, amen. I, uh, I had a, uh, a long stretch of my life, um, um, uh, I don't know, about 10 years back that, that you know, and, and proceeding backward, that I was angry a lot. Any of you all go through stretches where you're just angry at everything? Wow, wrong crowd. <laughs> uh, there's a couple of us, at least. And I, I remember, I, it, it, it was almost as though I carried just that angry with me. And I'd look at people, and angry was my first response. Or folks would say stuff that I didn't like, and I would go home angry. And I, you know, it, I, I sometimes would just sit in it. Any of y'all ever do that? Where, like, you know, you go to bed at night, and you're replaying that conversation in your head, like, maybe from a week ago even, and you're like, oh, I can't believe that, you know. And, and um, the, 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 as we kind of go into this section of James, we're going to be looking at James chapter 4, verses 1 to 12. Um, this is about conflict, and a lot of the preceding um, sermons have been about conflict and about fighting, about gossip and stuff like that. And, and um, as we kind of dig into this, I, I want to challenge you to reflect at it. Um, because for me, as I, as I began to move out of that stage in my life, the, the realization that I had um, and I didn't realize it until, you know, this week when I was studying it, was that, that James kind of nailed down everything that was my problem. Um, last, last week we talked about um, the two kinds of wisdom. God's wisdom, right, which is about glorifying God, and it's about surrendering our rights and our privileges to God's will um, and, and being peacemakers and forgiving and loving. Like, that's sort of God's wisdom. And then there's worldly wisdom, which is all about me, Right? And it's all about, well, you did me wrong and so, or I don't agree with this, so I'm mad because, or you're wrong and that's why you're the worst person ever, or, you know, the, the, like, like there are these two sides to wisdom. And um, um, as, we, as we dig into this, you know, James talks about wisdom and then he moves into this section and he talks about conflict. And, and we'll see where conflict is really a result of, of our operating system, right? Like I... I'm always, uh, I have a Mac, you know, in our church we have a Mac, so they don't get viruses and they work all the time and stuff. Um, but then I talk to folks who have PCs and they can play games and software is cheaper and they have to buy a new computer every other year and whatever, you know. And, and like, because we have a better operating system, we don't have as much trouble. You know, <laughs> like what this comes down to is, it <laughs> what this comes down to is it comes down to a, a matter of operating system. Like the, the operating system is the language that the computer uses to operate. Right, like it's how it makes decisions, it's how it interprets things, it's how it it operates. For us as people, we either operate in godly wisdom, which is a way of looking at the world, it's a way of reacting, it's a way of prioritizing, or we operate in worldly wisdom, which is all about us. Um, and and we're going to tend to break down then, and we're going to tend to have conflict, and we're going to tend to have um, um, you know anger and and blue screens and stuff like that. Computer joke. Um, <laughs> the, the week before that, we talked about loose talk and, and how it creates conflict, but we're, we're not going to be focusing on that as much. Um, it does play in, and it'll come up, but just be aware. So, like, he talks about gossip and loose talk. Then he talks about the two kinds of wisdom. The other big, big thing to understand is James is the author of this. He was the brother of Jesus. He was Jewish through and through, okay? Very Jewish. This is a very, very Jewish letter. Um, there's a lot of convention he borrows from Old Testament, like wisdom literature and, and Old Testament writings. And so you see a lot of that, and it's going to play into this. And Jewish culture is going to play into it, especially verse 2 and on. Okay, so just heads up, there's Jewish stuff coming. Um, I, don't, I don't know what that means. Um, <laughs> um, so we're going to start out 4-1. Uh, 
What is the source of quarrels and conflicts amongst you? Is it not the source, is not the source, the, your pleasure that wage war in your members? Um, so first off, um, quarrels and conflicts, when he, when he asks this, like quarrels is such a, I don't know, it's kind of a, it's kind of a funny word. It almost takes a lot of the, the edge off of it, doesn't it? Um, but what he's talking about is literally like the word quarrel can be translated as battle. Um, and actually, um, if you look at verse 1 and 2 together, um, he sort of implies that, um, well, let's, let's read 2 and we'll get to that. We'll, we'll, you lust and you do not have, so you commit murders. You are envious and you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. So we're going to jump back to 1 here. Quarrel, so he says, what's the, what's the source of battles amongst you? And later on, he pairs battles with killing in the next, like in the next verse, right? And this has created an argument amongst um, Bible interpreters as to whether or not um, he's talking about actual, like, violence, which, you know, I, I've been in a lot of church fights. I've never seen anybody hit anyone else. I've thought about it, um, but I've <laughs> never actually seen it. The, the, but there are folks who read this and say, well, look, the language is almost always, in, in Greek at the time, only used for physical violence. And, and these same guys will say, well, there was a group of folks called the Zealots. The Zealots were a Jewish sect, and, and one of the things they were known for was terrorism. They would walk in, in crowds of people, and when they would find Romans, they would walk up and they had these big long daggers they hid underneath their coats, and they would like walk up and they would stab them as they walked by and then take off into the crowd and disappear. And the idea was to terrorize the Romans so they would leave. And generally it just resulted in a lot of people getting slaughtered by the Romans. It was a terrible strategy and it never worked. Um, but the zealots were violent. And so some folks have read this and they've argued, well, look, what if what he's talking about is... Um, like actual violence, like where these people in this church, uh, you know, in the churches at the time are beginning to conflict so much that they're actually like stabbing each other sometimes. Um, I'm not going with that, but I want to put it out there because I'm going to suggest another interpretation. Um, The zealots, it's probably a good case to be made that some of them became Christians. And so some of these guys were violent in their youth, right? And I think part of what James is doing here is he's tugging at the strings. And he's saying, listen, you know how it is. You know that, um, you know that some of you battle. And some of you in your past, you've hurt each other. And some of you have gone out of your way to like mess with each other. And, and in the past, some of you have killed people in an effort to get your way. Um, in this setting, I think it's metaphorical. Because if they were actually killing each other, first off, no one would go to that church. Right? Like... <laughs> Like the first Sunday that someone shoots someone else here, you know, it, nobody else is coming, right? Like, like next Sunday, nobody's showing up, or everybody's going to be armed, and it's going to be an even rougher Sunday. I preach behind glass or something. Um, anyway, <laughs> wow. Um, so, so when he asks, he says, listen, what's causing these battles and these fights in your midst? Is the source not pleasures that wage war with your members? Now, when it says members, it's easy to read that and think, oh, like um, members of the church, right? He actually is talking about individuals, right, and their body parts, not like the church is an analogy of the body. He's talking about individuals. So he's saying, you know, what's causing conflict? Isn't, isn't it that Eric is constantly fighting with what he wants and what his pleasures are and what he's trying to get for himself? And that's what makes him, like, like fight with the people around him? Um, 
Now, follow me on this. When, when I, one of the things I realized as I was studying this, when I was an angrier person, one of the main reasons I was angry was because things didn't go my way or because people didn't agree with me. And, and like at the source of it, at the very bottom of it, a lot of it was about, about selfishness. Um, and a lot of times anger is driven by that. Sometimes anger is righteous indignation, right? But my experience is righteous indignation is not the majority of anger. You know, it's sometimes we get mad about, like, like real injustice in the world. Most of the time, it's, it's us. And it's all about us, especially when we start coming across, like, like, people conflicting in the family. It's very seldom you're going to see a family fight. You know, does anybody have that? You go to Thanksgiving, and there's this big argument that's been brewing for years, and every Thanksgiving it happens, and it's right there, really. It's, yeah, I know. Anyway, um, <laughs> I, I didn't point at anyone in particular. Especially not my wife. Um, <laughs> but but these, these fights are almost never about something important. They're always about something petty, aren't they? Or sometimes even worse, they're about things that we've forgotten and we don't even remember why we're fighting anymore. You know, it's just that like, oh, this is kind of what we do and I know that I don't like you. I don't remember why I don't like you, but I'm sure I don't. And so, you know, we're going to sit out at the same table and it's on. Um, you know, or, or neighbors do this, or, or uh, honestly, he's talking about the church here. This happens in the church. Sometimes folks fight over not getting their way, right? Um, I was at a conference once, and there was a, uh, they were talking about a church where the last service they had, they had, a, they had to call the police, actually, because they had moved the piano from one side of the stage to the other, and someone got up in the middle of worship, knocked the piano player over, and moved it back. <laughs> we're, we're not there, right? <laughs> Mainly because if you put it over there, you won't be able to hear the piano right, and it, you can't do that. Um, but <laughs> Ross isn't here to run interference for me. Um, but, but when he's talking about it, he's saying, listen, what's causing all this conflict is you want what you want, and you don't get it, and so you fight. Um, and so you walk around angry, so you carry this grudge or, or what have you. You lust and you do not have. Now, when we talk about pleasure, right, pleasure is followed by lust. Lust is meet my need. Fulfill my, you know, I, I want my pleasure. I want my need. And it's not about anybody else's needs or wants. It's just about me, right? I mean, sometimes we lust after possessions. You know, I, I, every time Dwayne drives that Mustang of his, I, I kind of lust after his car. Um, and that's really why I tease him, because I want his car. Um, <laughs> but, but there are people who lust after, after, you know, oh, I want this new car, and then they spend money they don't have to buy it. Doesn't that happen? Or they lust after someone who isn't their wife and they, you know, wreck their marriage chasing after Or they make themselves miserable chasing after it. Or they just fight with their wife because she's not this person they're lusting after. Um, and they, a resentment builds. And what James is saying here is, listen, you look at this and you want it in a sinful way. And because you don't have it, like, you hurt each other. Like, because you're not getting your way, you hurt each other. Because, you know, things are not playing out in your favor and, like, nobody's acknowledging that you're on the throne here, um, you, you hurt. Um, I, I think because James parallels the Sermon on the Mount, um, it's probably a decent case to be made. Like, Jesus talks about anybody who um, calls his neighbor, you know, an idiot, basically, is, is guilty of murder. You know, like, hate is, is sort of on par, like... Like, and I, I think part of what he's doing here is he's playing out Jesus' metaphor, right, or Jesus' Jesus's teaching. Um, we don't hate each other. We don't hate our family members. We don't hate our neighbors. We don't hate, like, the jerk politicians who are on the opposite side of the aisle from us. We don't hate, um, you know, Craig. We don't hate Michael. We don't hate any of these people. 
Um, I think he's sleeping. Um, <laughs> um, you're envious and you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel, meaning they look at each other and they're jealous. And because they can't get what they want, they fight. Um, you do not have because you do not ask. Now, we're going to draw this back to last week. Two kinds of wisdom. What are they? Godly wisdom and worldly wisdom. So now, worldly wisdom looks and says, I'm jealous or, you know, I'm envious. I want this. And because I can't have this, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm going to act a certain way. Well, it's no, you know, I don't think it's a coincidence that he says, um, you know, you're envious and you can't, you can't get what you want. Because these are people who are operating by worldly wisdom. And they don't get because they're not asking. Who are they not asking? Well, they're not asking God, right? Because at the, sort, at the like, base of all wisdom is realization that every good thing we get, everything that we have is a product of God giving to us. And these folks ain't asking God. Sometimes they don't ask God because you don't ask God for things you shouldn't be asking for, right? I mean, and it is the case, you know, like I, I, uh, I, I've talked to a lot of guys who, um, you know, have, have drug problems or problems with pornography, and you never hear them say, God, can you please get me blank? <laughs> you know, you, you never see people asking God for things they're not supposed to have. Um, one of the best pieces of advice I have ever gotten, and I've given it to quite a few people, when somebody makes you mad, the best thing to do is to pray for them. You should start praying angry things and see how it works. <laughs> Usually it doesn't. because, And I've tried it. Like, you just can't pray angry things at people. You know, it's, it feels wrong to say, God, can you please just step on them? <laughs> like, just, just squish them. Just all I want you to do, just do it, because it doesn't work. And ultimately, the more we pray and the more we look to God and the more we seek him, the more he changes our hearts and turns us into the kinds of people that we're supposed to be. Because if we root ourselves in godly wisdom, it changes us. Um, it, it alters our hearts and our souls. Um, and so he says, look, you're not getting anything because you're not asking, meaning God's not giving you because you're not talking to God. You ask and you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. Now check this out. My son um, has discovered the dishwasher. Anybody else have little kids who discovered the dishwasher at some point? And when that dishwasher opens, he wants to crawl onto the door and get into everything he can. Most, not most notably, his favorite thing is that little rack on the side that's got all the silverware. And, and like the steak knives. <laughs> and, and, and he, at times, I've seen him pick up the steak knife and I'll take it away from him right away because I'm not that bad of a parent. Um, and what's his response? Yeah, he throws himself on the floor and has a fit. What happens if I give him the steak knife? He's going to hurt me or, or his mom or himself or maybe his sister. But, you know, um, it, it, it wouldn't turn out good. And so sometimes God doesn't give it to us because we shouldn't have it, right? But to take it a step beyond that, right, sometimes God says no when we ask for things because, like, what we're going to do with it is just going to destroy us, Right? Honestly, if, if I, you know, if God gave me enough money that I could buy, um, you know, Mustangs and <laughs> own Mustangs, that money would probably, probably hurt me in some way. Like I would spend it frivolously and I would have to face God for having spent my money frivolously or I would, you know, like come apart. God provides for me as I need. Um, when he says you ask and you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasure, what he's saying is, listen, you're, asking for, you're praying and asking for things from a place of the wrong kind of wisdom. If you're asking from worldly wisdom, right, anything you receive is going to be damaging to you. 
Um, because fact of the matter is that if I have greed and I have envy and I feed that greed and envy, does greed and envy ever get satisfied? Nope. Just wants more. And so the more I feed that, the bigger and worse it's going to get. Um, ultimately, if God feeds that in me, if God feeds that worldly wisdom in me, um, it's actually, if you read uh, Romans 1, it's one of the hardest passages in the Bible. Romans 1 talks about um, folks you know, having a sinful desire, and they get it, and like they indulge in it, and they ignore God. And what God does is he hands them over to you. He says, look, if that's what you really want, you can have it. And then their desire gets worse, and their sin gets bigger. And before you know it, their sin is completely out of control, and their lives are on fire because God just says, all right, well, if that's what you want, you can have it. Um, and he backs up and lets them have it, right? Um, as James is talking to these people, he's saying, listen, if you're going to operate from this worldly perspective, if you're going to operate from this like vacuous hole in your soul, if you get it, it's going to get worse, a lot worse. Um, so God sometimes says no because it would damage us. He goes on, he says, you adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Now, he's shifting into Old Testament phrasing here, right? Because if you read the prophets, um, anytime somebody is God's people and they decide, I want what the world's got and I'm going to ignore God, it's like cheating on him. Everybody got it? Like, like God compares it to adultery. So when I worship like my stuff more than I worship God, guess what? It's adultery. It would be roughly, you know, the comparison, again, would be, hey, I'm married, I love my wife, but neighbor's wife's pretty good looking. Um, that's the degree of harm it brings God. It's the degree of hurt it brings God. It's the degree of betrayal that God experiences. Um, like, like, to compare it to, honestly, I think probably one of the worst betrayals you can experience. Um, and he's just talking about friendship with the world, by the way. He's not even necessarily talking about, like, worshiping idols or building golden calves. He's talking about picking things out and saying, this is what I want, and I want it a little more than God. Or I want both of you, right? I, I, I want both of you. I'm going to try and stand on both sides of the fence here, um, which never works out. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Now, if I decide I'm going to be very close friends with the neighbor's wife and my wife finds out about it, how close are we going to be? <laughs> yeah, I'm actually going to be buried in the yard, and so I'll be that close to her for as long as she's there. Um, you cannot cheat on God and expect that he's going to continue to you know, play friendly with you, can you? Because it's... It's cheating on him. And he knows. It's not like you can hide it from him, right? I mean, there are folks I know who think they can hide things from God, but it's a little like Abby sometimes will do something bad, and when I approach her, she covers her eyes. <laughs> Thinking, you're not hiding. <laughs> Just because you can't see me doesn't mean I'm not going to spank you. Like, it's still coming. <laughs> um, but there are folks who believe that. Well, look, you know, if I just hide it well enough. Nope, can't trick God. Um, and so part of what James is playing out here is he's saying, listen, you people are fighting. You people are, are conflicting. You're hurting each other. You're damaging each other. You're constantly angry, and it's all coming out of this selfishness. It's all coming out of this desire to have things for yourself, period. Um, he says, listen, you ask for things, and God doesn't give them to you because even though God loves you and wants to take care of you, you're asking for stuff that's going to wreck your life and destroy your soul. And so at the end of the day, like, like 
Um, he says the biggest problem is you're cheating on God. You're committing spiritual adultery with the world. Or do you think that the scripture or that do you think that the scripture speaks to no purpose? He jealously desires the spirit which he has made dwell in us. Um, so he says, listen, when the Bible says that God jealously desires the spirit that he's made in us, which means that um, like the spirit that he's made in us, God has done work in our lives. Right? Is there anybody here who God has changed you at least a little bit along the way? And he's moved you in the direction of becoming like Jesus. God looks at that in you and he says, I've done this work. This person is mine. Um, and he jealously guards us. I, I wonder, I've talked to folks who say, well, isn't jealousy a sin? This would be sort of a little bit different. I am jealous of my wife. Not as in like she is sitting near Brooke and I'm jealous. But if my wife started flirting with other men, I'd have a problem, right? And that would be appropriate jealousy, wouldn't it? Like, to look at something that is, you know, the apple of your eye, like this, this wonderful thing to you, like my wife is to me, um, and, and see that other people are trying to know it inappropriately or be overly familiar with it, it sparks jealousy. God looks at us and he says, these people, Brooke and uh, David and Carly and, and um, um, the Bondmillers and, and um, the Durgas and, and all of these people are people that my son died for. God literally sent his son to bleed and die for us. That is the degree of love and intimacy like, and desire he has for us. And so when we wander off and start flirting with other you know, things and saying, well, hey, you could be my God, there's jealousy that comes out. Um, and ultimately, when we're doing that, it's, it's out of a selfishness, and it's out of the world's wisdom, not out of God's wisdom. We're choosing to reject the work he's done on us in favor of like, a much crummier operating system like windows but he gives a greater grace therefore it is said god is opposed to the proud but gives grace to the humble now he gives a greater grace meaning god has a really high expectation of us right god looks at us and he's jealous of every like stray thought we have and it it hurts him like whenever that is there but like god is so loving and so forgiving that his love and forgiveness is able to match his own jealousy Right, like you, you can see that where it gets out of control with some people, where they, uh, um, I, I always think of high school girls, like you know that that you know that that you know other girl said hi to my boyfriend and now I hate you, you know we're not talking anymore, and and that's where jealousy outranges grace, you know, and 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 this is a situation where God's grace and His jealousy like 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 the land on level. God is willing to offer us grace to the degree that we're able to rebel. Um, and that's pretty huge in my case. I don't know about y'all. Um, but God is opposed to the proud but gives grace to the humble. Now, check this out. The way this works is, um, have any of y'all ever reached a point in your life where you were so broken and realized you had messed stuff up so badly that you, you were just willing to confess anything and do anything to be right in front of God? My, my angry period ended with me like I woke up at like 2 in the morning and I was laying in bed and I began to think about every wrong, angry, mean, horrible, self-centered thing I'd been doing over the last few years and I just felt like awful. And I, I sat up and I prayed for about four hours because I just wanted God to fix it because I knew that I'd made such a mess of things. Um, and, and that's, hey, look at how humble I was. That's, <laughs> I just realized how badly that played out. 
because I'm bragging about it. No, I'm not bragging about it. Actually, it's one of the low points of my life. I'm not saying it because I'm good. I'm saying it because that's what humility is. Humility is when you reach this point that you're willing to approach God and confess and say, look, I failed. I screwed up, and, and, and I'm not going to assert my rights at all. I'm not going to push my agenda. I, I need grace. God gives us grace when we're willing to humble ourselves and we're willing to bring ourselves low before him and accept his grace. Because if we approach God and we say, you need to forgive me now, he doesn't play that game, right? That's pride. And God's, you know, ultimately he's going to resist it and he's going to provide us opportunities to screw up even more until we reach the point that we're willing to be humble. And generally, it's just us doing it to ourselves. It's just a crazy thing. So 7 through 10, James breaks into a whole list of directives, right? He said, submit therefore to God. Now, submit therefore to God is a reference to coming under Christ's lordship, right? Um, we talk about um, you know, believe in Christ and, and confess him and have faith that he died for you and you're saved. The next step after that is come under his lordship, meaning like Jesus has teachings for us. He has ways he desires us to live, right? And that's what he's talking about here. He's talking about coming under his lordship, applying those teachings to our lives and living different, becoming different. Um, he goes on. Resist the devil and he will flee from you, meaning temptation is going to be around you and this worldly wisdom is going to be whispering in your ear and if you resist it, it goes away. If we lean in God's direction and away from this like wickedness, it'll draw off of us. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you, meaning that when we lean toward God, when we confess, when we lay down our own stuff and say, you're in charge, please pick me up, I need this. I need Jesus' forgiveness. I need the blood that he shed for me. I need this because I just mess it up. Like when we reach this point and we start drawing near to him with humble hearts and we start picking up his wisdom, he draws near to us. He's not like the, the angry teenage girl who says, no, I don't care that you're sorry. Get away from me, right? He steps up and he says, I love you and I still love you. And even when you fail, I love you. And I'm just waiting for you to come back for me. To me, um, cleanse your hands, you sinner, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Now, cleansing your hands and purifying your hearts refers to making things right again, right? It begins with, with setting things right in the world around us and setting things in harmony with Christ's teachings for our lives. And then in our hearts, it's confession, and it's submitting our hearts to him, and it's applying those teachings, and it's reordering how we think about the world. Um, it's bringing it all underneath Christ's lordship. Um, be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord and he will exalt you. This is talking about repentance after we're like stuck in sin, after we get mired in, in wickedness. Um, I, I was out fishing with Eric a couple of years ago and uh, I was walking in the mud. I had knee-high boots on and... Uh, I, I was walking in the mud, and the mud just got really deep on me really quick. And I, I got to a point where I put my foot down, and I put my weight on it, and I didn't expect it, but I went all the way up to my knee. <laughs> and I tried to pull back, and what happened? My boot came off, and I had to stand there like a, you know, <laughs> pull my boot out of the mud. Um, the, this is the image that comes to my mind every time I read this. Um, there's this point in time when we get so stuck in sin that like all we can do is turn and be sorry. 
All we can do is turn and mourn over the things that we've done wrong. All we can do is weep over the ways that we have offended God. Um, all we can do is put that out there and what God does in response to our mourning and in response to our repentance, which is really what this is about. It's about repentance, right? It's not because God likes seeing us sad. It's because he wants us to repent of our sins and he wants us to turn and head in a new direction, right? Because as long as it's our way, as long as we're stuck in our pride and our desire, we're never going to do it. It's not possible even, um, Humble yourself in the presence of the Lord, and he will exalt you. How does he exalt us? Well, what the scripture teaches is, is if we're repentant, if we like come under Christ's lordship, if we ask for that forgiveness, if we confess our sins, if we put it all out there, God literally adopts us as his own sons and daughters. Um, he literally makes us a part of his family. He literally says, come on in, you're one of us. He restores us to what we were created to be, which is a whole heck of a lot better than what we selfishly desire for ourselves. But it requires repentance. It requires that we start in that low spot. And man, that's hard. Um, But knowing God is worth it. Do not speak. All right, so he finishes this. He says, listen, repent and get your business straight. Stop fighting with each other. Stop being worldly. Stop being selfish. And then he turns around and he starts giving instructions. He says, listen, now that you've repented, do not speak against one another, brethren. He who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, are you not a doer? You are not a doer of law, but a judge of it. Now, the law he's talking about is love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, right? He's saying, listen, If you're going to gossip about each other, if you're going to trash talk each other, if you're going to dump out like venom on each other all the time, what you're doing is you're backing up and saying this love your neighbor is yourself thing. That's good for everyone but me. And let me tell you why, because my neighbor is terrible or (laughs) because this person does the wrong thing or because can you believe that Eric's been talking for 32 minutes already? Doesn't he know you know, or, or whatever else it is that we say nasty about each other, like it's stepping back and saying this love your neighbor law, not for me, it's for everyone else. But by my actions, I'm going to demonstrate that I can judge whether or not that's the way I'm going to live. Now, if we're judging the law, what are we doing? We're standing in God's place, right? I, I love watching Abby every time she decides she's going to hand out rules to people because she's an old, oldest child. Isn't that what oldest children do? They hand out rules, and she dictates to – yesterday when we were setting up for the party, she kept walking around and saying, big kids like me are allowed to play with this, but little kids like you have to stay over there. You know, and, and I said, no, Abby, leave all that stuff alone. And she's like, but I'm a big kid, you know, and she does what she wants. What is wrong with you? <laughs> I'm bigger than you. I can tell you what the rules are. But she believes that she's in a position of, of creating the law, of creating rules, and some rules don't apply to her. Why? Because – She's in charge. Is she really in charge? No. <laughs> That's a grand illusion. <laughs> um, this, is, this is what James is talking about. Like He's talking about us putting ourselves in the place of God because there is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and to destroy. And who, are, and who are you to judge your neighbor? And so what he's saying is, listen, if we're standing around, we're hating our neighbor, we're talking bad about them, we're dumping out all this venom from our heart and minds and all of this other stuff, ultimately we're saying, I'm in God's place. If I'm trying to stand in God's spot, um, is he going to exalt me? 
No, there's arrogance to that, isn't it? He's going to humble me ultimately. And until I reach the point of, of humble, it'll never be right. Um, Abby's got this habit right now. We're going to pray here in a second. We're, we're about there. Abby's got this habit right now that every time I'm sitting in a chair, and she does it like on purpose, okay? I, I'm not sure if she started doing it on purpose, but she's definitely doing it on purpose now because she says, I took your spot. Every time I stand up to do anything, she runs and jumps in my chair. And in fact, sometimes even when it doesn't make sense, she'll say, Dad, I want some juice. Can you get me some juice? And I'll get up to get her juice, and she'll jump in my spot. And then she won't go back and get her juice because she wants my spot. <laughs> and and she, I mean, over and over again, I'm in your spot. I'm in your spot. I'm in your spot. And sometimes it means I'm going to pick her up and toss her across the room, you know. And nope, my spot. <laughs> there you go. Um, sometimes I just don't give her what she wants, and she gets up and wanders off. Because, or sometimes I sit somewhere else because it's too much work. Um, there are those of us. There are those of us. There are those of us who do this to God, right? We we look and we say, God. I'm going to take your spot. I'm, I'm, going to, I'm going to take your spot. The world should be this way, and I'm going to judge it, and I'm in your spot. My neighbor should act this way, and he needs some punishment for acting wrong, so I'm going to take your spot. This is what I deserve, and I have no way to get it, so I'm going to spend money I don't have because I'm in your spot. This is how things ought to be. This person should be my wife, or I should be allowed to have five or six of them, or I should just be able to look at pictures of other people's wives or whatever. Like, And so I'm going to take your spot, God. I'm going to come up with the rules today. Or you've wronged me, and I'm not forgiving you, and so I'm going to stand in God's spot. And I suspect every time it happens, God comes along and he watches us sitting in his seat trying to play God. And, and he thinks, well, you know, why are you doing this? You're just destroying yourself. You're drawing yourself away from me. You'll never get, like, grace and forgiveness as long as you intend on sitting in my place. We're going to close in prayer. Um, my challenge for you today and this week, and by the way, there are notes for next week's sermon. If you like those, I've continued to do them. There's a stack of them in the back. But my challenge for you this week as we, as we go out of here is, is to examine your life and look. Where are you sitting in God's seat? Are you? I mean, as you're sitting here listening to me right now, are you sitting in God's spot? Um, and what do you need to do to get out of it? Um, what do you need to be humble about? What do you need to confess? What do you need to put under his lordship? Um, we're going to close in prayer. And Heavenly Father, I pray that you would be with the folks this morning, and, and I pray that you would move in a mighty way, Lord. I pray that you would open their eyes so that they can... They can see places they're sitting that they don't belong, Lord, and, and places that they chase after their own desire and their own will and, and just ignore what you have for them, Lord. I pray that you would just break our hearts this morning. Help us to come under your lordship and, and help us to be humble. And, and, Lord, help us to receive and rejoice in the grace of the Lord Jesus who died for us, Lord. And, and as we're praying this morning, Lord, I, I, I ask that you would just just help us to confess to you right now and help us to confess to you um, as we sit in this, in this um, service this morning. Just bring us to a place where we know you and where we're humble before you. Um, in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Uh, we're going to close with a